0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. I'd like to take you all with me to South Africa, where today above the rising star cave system, it looks very much like this. It's beautiful weather there right now. In 2013, Rick Hunter and Stephen Tucker went underground at this site looking for bones. And what I'm gonna show you is the video that they took going for the first time into a previously unknown cave chamber that we call the Dinaletti Chamber. This is Stephen Tucker descending down a very narrow squeeze that we call the chute. It's a 12 meter vertical descent, and you see here at the base, bones exposed on the floor of the cave chamber. This partial skull that you saw there in that video this mandible that clearly from the photographs that they brought out of the cave looked like a hominin mandible, not a modern human. It was interesting enough for my friend Lee Berger at the University of the Witwatersrand to organize uh, an expedition to see what these bones were, to recover them, to bring them out of the cave, to study them, and, uh, and to try to understand them it looked to us like there might be a large part of a hominin skeleton in the bones that we saw on the surface, and that was big news. But this posed a big challenge, because the Rising Star cave system has a number of very narrow constraints in it that make it very difficult to pass. And In particular, the one above the chamber with the bones, called the chute, is a 12-meter vertical drop that has a minimum width of seven and a half inches, 18 centimeters, it was going to take some extraordinary scientists to get through this. And, and Lee, on a Facebook call, found some extraordinary archaeologists who were capable not only of the underground skills and the climbing skills necessary to, to get into this cave chamber, but also the excavation skills necessary to recover and document the bones. There. One of these people, Lindsay Hunter, second from the right, is a staff member here at CARTA now. She's in the room. Um, several of the others have worked with us uh, continuously since 2013 in various aspects of the project. Uh, Becca Pechado at the Perot Museum of Nature and Science in Dallas right now is curating the first exhibition of the Homo naledi material in the United States. Uh, Alia Gurtoff, Ellen Feuerigel, Marina Elliott, who's for a long time coordinated all excavation work in Rising Star, and on the very right, uh, Hannah Morris. This work is done by a team of more than 100 collaborators around the world, and I'm going to try to share some of the big picture aspects of it. I want you to know that, that this work is not possible without the tremendous collaboration and, and wholehearted Um, helpfulness and and just spirit for the work both in the field underground and also in the laboratory of these extraordinary people and I'll point out many of them some of them are here in the room with us so in November of 2013 uh, the expedition spent 28 days underground recovering fossil remains in the chamber What looked to us from the surface like possibly the remains of one skeleton turned out to represent the remains of many, many individuals. And You see here the excavators Marina and Hannah working on a bone bed that we exposed very rapidly. All of our work during the first couple of field seasons uh, were dedicated to excavating approximately 20 centimeters of depth uh, in an area of about 80 centimeters on a side. Um, In that area we recovered more than 1,500 hominin specimens, um, representing a minimum of 15 individuals. A study of these specimens in the laboratory convinced us over the course of a couple of years that we were looking at something that we'd never seen before in the hominin record. Um, This was a new species, not like other hominins that we'd found so far, and our team named the new species Homo naledi. I'll give you a brief tour of what Homo naledi is like. It's different from us in many respects, and yet similar. Its hands, for example, have fingertips that are broad, which are great for exerting a grip through the fingertips. It has wrist bones that are configured more like modern humans and Neanderthals than other earlier hominins. But its fingers are also very curved in its bones, which suggests that it was using them on a curved substrate while it developed. And that suggests that climbing was very important to its behavior. Its feet are mostly modern human-like in their proportions, in the presence of a longitudinal and transverse arch, and yet the lateral toes are a little bit longer on average than ours, and, uh, and the arch is a little bit flatter than ours. Its brain, between 450 and 600 cubic centimeters in the specimens that we've recovered is around a third the size of modern human brains. Uh, This is similar to earlier hominins like, like Australopithecus and not very much like most other members of the genus Homo. Across its skeleton, it exhibits a mosaic of traits, some of them very much like modern people, and some of them very much like very early hominins, and not very much like us. Its shoulders are, are configured to be reaching upwards very easily. That seems like a climbing feature. Yet its legs are very long and look like they're really well made for striding. Its pelvis is a little bit flattened and more flaring, uh, similar to some of the earliest hominin pelvies, like Lucy's. Um, and yet... Its, its hands and its jaws resemble the, our genus in most respects. Its teeth are human-like in size, and yet they're very primitive in their anatomy. It's an odd combination. I, I wanted to put this slide up here to remind me to tell you that we've recovered the remains of individuals of all ages, uh, from neonates through toddler age individuals, young and older children, um, through young and older adults. Um, The distribution of ages in the sample that we have now, which is stretching up to around 25 individuals in the cave system, is very much like Neanderthals and early Homo in terms of not very much representation of older adults. But uniquely, we have a very high representation of children in the site. And that gives us some important insights into the development of this species, including the fact that its dental development appears to have progressed in a human-like pattern, not very much like earlier hominins and, and other non-human primates, uh, early canine development relative to the molar eruption. And so it's a very unique combination of things. Our team didn't stop exploring in the cave system in 2013, and Rick Hunter and Stephen Tucker rapidly identified a second cave chamber in the system that had hominin material. Over the course of three years, our team, led by Marina Elliott, recovered material from that second chamber, the Lacetti chamber, which is 130 meters through the cave system from the first, the Dinaletti chamber. Um, it's very clear that these hominins were using large parts of this underground system and were quite familiar with it. In the Lacetti chamber, we recovered the the really impressive skeleton of an individual of Homo naledi, which we named Neo, in addition to parts of two, at least two additional individuals. And so we have an extraordinary situation where multiple parts of the cave system are representing a previously unknown hominin in a situation that we'd never found them before in the continent of Africa. Our work to date the site took some time. Eventually, we were able to sample directly from the Homo naledi teeth themselves in addition to geological samples in the Dinaledi chamber to narrow down the range of dates for this hominin fossil sample between 236,000 and 335,000 years ago. For a hominin that has a brain a third the size of ours in Africa, this was very surprising to us. It means that Homo naledi, was there at the same time as our immediate ancestors, early humans, early modern Homo sapiens. No one guessed that we had to share the continent of Africa with something that was not very much like us at the same time that our species was originating. That raises many interesting questions. And I'm here to tell you today that I'm gonna discuss some of these questions, and they're questions that I do not have the answers to. I have a lot of information that's interesting with respect to these questions and that makes me think very hard about some of them and that wakes me up at night sometimes and certainly wakes up my collaborators if I'm not the one waking them up saying, why, why isn't this done yet? So you've got these great questions and I'm going to review some of them. The first and most obvious one is if Homo Naledi there 250,000 years ago or so and it's got hands that look like they're really well-suited to making tools, what kinds of artifacts are associated with it? Are they making the same kinds of artifacts as Homo sapiens at the same time? Now, when we talk about the Middle Stone Age in Africa, which is this time period in terms of the archaeological record, oftentimes people think about later aspects of the Middle Stone Age, famous things like the geometrically incised designs on this uh, block from Blombos Cave, Um, Things like the great diversification across Africa of different point styles, this is in a a figure from Sally McBeardy and Alison Brooks, and Alison's here in the audience with us. This is a famous thing about the Middle Stone Age, that you have this regional diversification. It is only relatively recently that we've developed some more insight about the earlier phases of the Middle Stone Age, as, as the Levallois manufacturing technique is, is really starting to take over from large cutting tools in earlier traditions. These are the or Hood tools, which we saw earlier today in, in Professor Ublon's talk, and they're from Morocco, and this is a really unique case in Africa where we have a very early Middle Stone Age that's associated with skeletal material of a hominin in a stratigraphic layer. So we know that, oh, they're the same time. This seems like they're probably associated with each other. There are almost no fossil associations for other Middle Stone Age, earlier Middle Stone Age assemblages throughout the continent. For example, these hafted points from Katupan in South Africa are among the earliest known in the African continent before 400,000 years old. Who made them? Was it Homo naledi? We don't know. And this creates a problem for us. How do we tell when there are possibly two cultural hominins in the same continent who made what? We don't know. These pigment blocks from Orlorgosyle, again, Allison's work, are among the earliest uses of pigment anywhere in the continent. And what Orlorgosyle is also known for is a much earlier deposit, more than 800,000 years old, um, including lots and lots of hand axes, including this extraordinary pavement of hand axes that that the walkway is built around there. Those hand axes are coeval with a hominin specimen from a that, when Rick Potts described it, said, well, this looks like a frontal bone that might be a very small homo erectus. In today's context, this looks like a ringer for later 250,000-year-old Homo naledi. When we look at small-brained hominins in Africa, they're associated with, in temporal terms, lots of different technical abilities. The question is, how can we pin down who made these things and who's responsible for them and whether they interacted with each other? This is a serious question. How? did Homo naledi manage to coexist with other, much larger brain hominins for as long as it did? We don't know. When we establish the earlier part of the Homo naledi ancestry, like where did it come from, the way that the tool that we have to do that is with phylogenetic analysis. I'm showing you here a phylogenetic analysis from Monodembo and colleagues, including Mark Collard, who's introducing us all in the room, um, that shows their favored result was that Homo naledi was connected to Neanderthals, modern humans, and other larger-brained species of Homo, including Homo antecessor. If that's true, that would put the origin of the naledi lineage earlier than the date of the antecessor fossils, which is around 800,000 years ago. So it makes the naledi lineage something like 900 to a million, 900,000 to a million years old. However, the mixture of anatomy of Homo naledi makes it very difficult to be confident about how it's related to us. Another analysis by Debbie Argue and colleagues, they were looking at the relationships of Homo floresiensis and flores, but they did so by looking across the whole skeleton at traits, and naledi is a really great sample for that. In their favorite analysis, naledi was connected to the fossils from Dimenisi, Georgia, which are very early examples of Homo erectus, or in this analysis called Homo georgicus. If Naledi is connected to those fossils, then its lineage might be more than one point eight million years old. We don't know how long this branch of our phylogeny was hanging out in Africa in coexistence with other species. And it raises the question of how did all this coexisting happen? We've heard already today from a couple of people about the need to explain isolation in an African continent where it's clear that anatomical diversity among large-brained hominins is very great. We have a small-brained hominin that existed throughout this entire time period. Here's a modern human. And you guys have heard a couple of times already today, and I'll, I'll briefly review. We sort of think we know what the ancestry of modern humans looks like. You have these early anatomically modern forms that existed within the last 200,000 years. Before that, in Africa, you had fossils that many people have described as early Homo sapiens, but not modern, that existed before 250, back to maybe 400,000 years ago. And across that time and earlier, back to 600,000, you have some very archaic-looking hominins that many people have called Homo heidelbergensis, or some Homo rhodesiensis, The Bodo fossil there at the bottom is is an example of that. And that looks like a gradual pattern. It's become apparent that this is a very diverse group. And in the middle of that diversity is a species that nobody expected to find. How is this coexistence possible in an African ecology that as large as Africa is, we think of ourselves as the ultimate competitors? We're supposed to be driving all these things to extinction. And they're doing fine. That raises the question of whether Naledi is part of this network of mixture that existed across Africa. And I'll give my best attempt at this mixture. And you're going to see some genetics later today. This is drawn from genetics. And and so I just want to illustrate that we've got a complicated tree of humans. And at the bottom of this tree I've illustrated here Neanderthals and Denisovans. You're going to hear a lot about them later. Uh, In a paper that just came out yesterday, Alan Rogers at the University of Utah and colleagues have have pointed out the possible existence of a super-archaic mixture into the ancestors of Neanderthals and Denisovans. So there's complexity in their origins. If we look at Africa, we see equivalent complexity. We see the diversification of today's African groups starting before 300,000 years ago. And archaic African groups, as different from today's people as Neanderthals and Denisovans, that existed and contributed into recent African populations. Who were these people? A lot of times, people look at the stem of this. Who's the common ancestor of us and Neanderthals, for instance? And say, well, that's something like Bodo, something Homo heidelbergensis But of course that particular fossil or others like it might be off to the side somewhere, one of these archaic groups. We look at the earliest members of our own species, things like the Jebel or Hood specimen, and say, well, maybe that's sort of rooting Homo sapiens in some way, but we don't have any genetics. Maybe it's also off to the side in some way. When we talk about Homo naledi, I'm not going to put it at the root of Homo sapiens, but Is it one of these archaic branches that existed that maybe contributed to humans? Does the mixture between these possible populations explain something about the anatomy of Naledi and its unique mixture? Or is Naledi off to the side, totally separate? Or is it deeper rooted, one of these super archaic branches? We don't know. It's a fascinating question. It's one that drives us. Finally, how complex was this behavior that led Naledi into these cave chambers? A lot of people have looked at this as maybe an early example of burial. And when we look at these sites and say, why is it that this hominin is there in isolation, in abundance? There is something very interesting about it. We're studying the bones to try to determine this, and we're back in the cave trying to find answers. This is Marapeng Ramalepa excavating the base of the chute in 2018. You see here uh, Becca Pechado suspended over a ladder excavating what became, very clearly, another feature, which is an articulated hominin specimen that we've brought out of the cave in a plaster jacket we're now studying. Our further explorations in the cave system have found additional instances of Naledi material, including additional fine spots, deep, into very narrow cracks off of the main Dinaletti chamber in places that our team has to wedge themselves sideways and reach down toward the floor, suspended off of the floor to reach. It's clear that this hominin was spending a lot of time in this cave, that it was very familiar with the deep parts of it, and that the cave was something interesting and special in its behavior. And that says something about complexity Understanding that, how it's connected to us, what it might mean, whether it's connected to ritual or other things that we've considered to be uniquely human, is something that we're going to take a long time to try to understand. And so it's an exciting moment because we're finding these unexpected things, and that's always exciting. But it also means that we have so much left to do. I hope that all of you will follow us as we continue this research and as we continue to make more discoveries in the rising star cave system Also, I hope that all of you who are out there digging, keep your eyes open. (laughs) Because there's more of them out there. And I think that we're going to see many more of them very soon. All right. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.